I'm Chaplain Jacob Scott of the Oregon National Guard. This is the Hope in the Trenches podcast. We're going forward. I'll sit down for conversations with people who offer interesting and informative perspectives on finding strength for life and work in the trenches and even improving our spiritual posture. Whether you feel like you're under heavy bombardment or ready to go over the top toward a new objective, it's good to be with you. So coming up in September is National Suicide Prevention Month. So our guests today are with the Oregon National Guard's Resiliency, Risk Reduction, and Suicide Prevention Program, part of our service member and family support directorate here in Salem. My guests are Mr. Stephen DeLuna and Ms. Vicki Farnsworth. Stephen joined the SMFS team as the Yellow Ribbon Coordinator back in September of 2019. He became the Resilience and Risk Reduction Program Lead in February of 21, he has a professional background in education, teaching at lots of different grade levels and ages. You even spent three years as an instructor for the Department of Homeland Security. He is considers himself a lifelong learner who believes in people, growth, a positive mindset, communication, and community. And I'll say too that I, I see that in the way that you that way that you do your job. So, Stephen, this is the first time that he's been on a podcast, but he's an avid podcast podcast listener. So I'm glad to have you here today. Very excited to be here. And Vicki joined the prevention team as the Oregon Army National Guard Suicide Prevention Coordinator right before COVID struck us all back in March of 2020. Then she became the Risk Reduction Coordinator, leading the Risk Reduction Team in June of 21. Her background is in advocacy for military families who have children with disabilities, as well as military family education and team building. She spent more than four years educating military families, exceptional family member program staff, and school liaison officers at military installations around the world. Vicki also advocated on a state and federal level to benefit military families who experience disability. She was a guest on our command senior enlisted leader, uh, Chief Master Sergeant Dan Connor's podcast, Get a Sign. So go back and listen to episodes seven and eight. Be sure to check out his and subscribe to Chief Connor's podcast as well. Stephen and Vicki, thank you guys so much for coming on today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah. So now, all right, guys, I'm, I'm an old combat arms guy. So when I hear risk reduction, I think safety and risk assessment matrices. So tell us about what you guys do and the vision for the Guard's Resiliency, Risk Reduction, and Suicide Prevention Program. Uh, I like that that's the immediate thing you read. Vicki will cover that a little bit better <laughs> on the risk reduction side of things. Yeah. Um, so for me, I get to um, support the full mission, but more focusing on the resilience side, working mm-hmm. um, closely with Vicki. Um, and what we do, um, our main kind of the base of the resilience kind of position is making sure that units have an MRT, so a master resilience trainer in the mm-hmm. unit, kind of the one who's running point within the unit of, you know, spreading the message, the word of resilience and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, coaching it, mentoring it, sharing it, teaching it when possible. We know how busy you guys' schedules are, the training schedules, so it's difficult to get in there, but they're kind of the ones that are leading that. So um, my job is to make sure that everyone has an individual trained and who's confident and comfortable to do that for the unit. Um, also a part of that, we last year started, which I won't speak for Vicky, but I know she loves it just as much as I do. Probably the most fun thing about our job is we get to facilitate the RTA course here in Oregon. Um, we do four times a year. So that's the resilience training assistant. Mm-hmm. So rather than just having one MRT, that one person, right? Because they're usually going to have so many responsibilities thrown yeah. on them that yeah. they're not realistically going to have a lot of time to cover that. So having some individuals that can kind of support them in that mission so they're not alone, you know, an actual resilience team, right, mm-hmm. as opposed to one person. So we love the course because we get to spend four days um, with soldiers. We get to have these discussions. We get to challenge them with thoughts. Um, a lot of them have so much uh, wisdom and resilience and things that aren't necessarily celebrated and talked about. So it's an opportunity for us to host a room where we're all just sharing ideas and learning. I know it helps us to learn and grow and um, makes us a more resilient kind of team and force for um, the Oregon Guard. Um, also, I wouldn't say it's not part of our job, but we've made it part of our job is really to kind of be the engine, you know, that pushes the discussion of resilience, um, celebrates its value, um, and it's talked about, promote it within the Oregon um, Guard culture. Um, and, and obviously, we have a lot of great MRTs in the state, but yeah. again, we know how busy they are. So we know that it falls to the wayside. So we need to kind of 
Vicky says, like, be the cheerleaders a little bit for it to make sure that it's um, talked about and celebrated. And, yeah, we just love empowering soldiers and resilience and that mindset. You mm -hmm. know, not that there's one right mindset, but whatever, um, you know, the community, each individual, whatever they define as that ideal mindset. So having that strong, healthy uh, mindset. And we also love bringing to resilience and supporting families as well. Oh, yeah, that's, that's super important. Of course, the challenge is that resiliency could easily become just a little one more thing that you got to do. We've got to, it's, we've been directed to put somebody on orders to, to have this title. And so let, let's just knock it out. Yeah. Well, Stephen's right. It is my favorite part of the job is teaching these courses, especially RTA. Um, we also have, you know, the Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training Assist. Mm -hmm. We get to do that two times or four times a year, two days instead of four. So we don't get to know people as much or as deeply as we do in RTA. But we do have some other trainings we offer. Um, those really are my favorite parts of the job is just being with soldiers directly and learning from them, growing from them, uh, their experiences really do affect us. And, you know, like Stevens said, I don't want to speak for him, but we've had these conversations where we grow from their growth. So it is altogether just a great team dynamic that we have with our other resilience person, um, Sergeant Luke Fox, and we get to take in wisdom as well as hopefully impart it and show them, you know, this is how we can work together to make a better guard. Because mm -hmm. it is, it's about taking care of our people, yes. right? And um, helping everyone to be whole and, and healthy. And, you know, no matter how long they serve in the military to, mm -hmm. to go back to their communities, a uh, whole and healthy person, or, you know, even when they're, or when they're not wearing the uniform, because most of our force in the guard are, they, they don't wear the uniform every day but they're in their communities all, all across the state and in their civilian occupations as family members, community members. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you guys teach these classes around the state and they're both, you mentioned assist and RTA. Those are a couple programs that are really kind of wide open as to who can participate. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We um, opened it up to not just having, you know, E5s and above. We understand that junior enlisted, have a lot to offer, have a lot to bring to the table, because when, you know, we're middle-aged, supposedly. Um, <laughs> you guys are young. You guys are young. <laughs> um, we understand that those who have, you know, been in high school in the last 15 years grew up with and were taught different skills than what we were taught in the 90s. So they have more to bring to the table when it comes to understanding and being able to talk about their feelings and emotions and their overall look on life, it is different from what we were raised with in school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we obviously have kind of tried to harness some of that ourselves growing up and becoming adults, but... Um, like I'm speaking for myself, I keep saying we because it's our team, but I know I didn't grow up with a lot of talk about communication or feelings or empathy or sympathy. It was, you feel bad when something happens, but you don't express yourself in the way of words mm -hmm. when it comes to that. So hoping that, you know, we're able to do that with others and they're teaching the younger soldiers are teaching older soldiers how mm -hmm. to do that in our courses. Well, and this is something that it's such a broad area, but it's something that touches us all too. And of course you were talking about learning from younger soldiers too. And when we have so many soldiers and airmen who are between the ages of 18 and 25 and, you know, and I'm, I'm pushing 50. So it it's, you know, I can't 
really fully understand what a, a young person is going through. I mean, I remember when I was 18 to 25, mm-hmm. well, most of it, right? But um, I, I, I can't, it's, it's tough for me now being well past that to, to really understand what issues they face and what, what drives them and motiv- motivates the, them. And we can't do that without listening to them. Yeah. Yeah, we find learning from them, you know, it's interesting. There's like three generations currently serving and working together, even us as civilians, you know, Mm -hmm. here in the Guard and supporting our soldiers. Um, You know, I think there can be problems that come from that, like generations that have a hard time communicating and understanding each other. Um, And we just love the idea of all three generations have such unique strengths. And so when we're able to find that common ground and share our strengths and work together— I feel like we're just a way more strong kind of community unit, yeah. like when we're able to kind of share that rather than, oh, you have a different take on this than I do, and so it's a problem. Like we're going to fight about it as opposed to having the conversations, learning, um, and growing and challenging each other in a respectful way, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we love the resilience curriculum because it allows us to have those. It's like a way to start the talk of resilience but then go deeper into Okay, well, what are frustrations? What are challenges? And how do we work with that? How do we, how do we take care of every individual, even though we have different approaches? How do mm-hmm. we share it with each other? Mm-hmm. Well, so while we were getting ready to, to prepare for the show, I shared a little, just a thought um, that by this French philosopher named Albert Camus. He wrote an essay back in 1942 called The Myth of Sisyphus. Now, Sisyphus was that Greek mythological character who was punished to roll a rock up a hill only to have it roll right back down every time he reached the top. And this was his punishment for eternity. Now, Camus began his essay by asserting that there's only one truly serious theological, or excuse me, theological, that there's a Freudian slip, right? That's, <laughs> that's, that's my wheelhouse. He said there's only one truly serious philosophical problem and that's suicide. And he seems to identify that the fundamental struggle for people is to either confront the seeming absurdity of life or to commit suicide out of despair for life's meaninglessness. And so now when I hear that word meaninglessness, I think of Viktor Frankl in that great book, Man's Search for Meaning, which seems to come up regularly on this podcast. Mm. But the problem of suicide can, can kind of feel like that, can't it? Just like pushing the rock up the hill only to see it roll back down again. Because I just recently saw the statistic that, you know, in spite of all of our efforts, the Army's rate for deaths by suicide exceeds the age and gender normalized rate for society. And that in spite of all the time and effort that we spend talking about suicide and trying to help soldiers and airmen be more resilient and prevent those negative outcomes, it's it's going the wrong direction. Now, of course, statistically speaking, we can't prove a negative. So we can't we can't say, well, you know, it would have been just been better if we did nothing. Of course, morally, I you know, I feel compelled, right? Morally, we have an obligation to talk, I think, to talk about suicide mm-hmm. and to work hard to prevent every suicide. Um, because, you know, every person in our organization has value and, and meaning. How do you guys uh, stay motivated and how do you, or what, what drives you to, to, to serve soldiers and airmen and to serve the organization in this way? Well, first I'll start off just when you had brought up that, the story, right, of um, Sisyphus, right? Mm-hmm. I loved that. First off, the philosophy kind of bringing it to the conversation. Um, because that's one of my kind of things that I'm fascinated with. And one of my tips and tricks of kind of navigating this life is a lens of philosophy and kind of um, finding it in different ways. So, you know, when you had brought up that story um, with me, you know, it kind of led me to two words of meaning and purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Meaning and purpose of life. What is it? And that's the big golden question for a Mm -hmm. lot of individuals is um, what is that purpose for you? And for all of us, it can be different, right? We have to find our kind of our own way, which is exciting, but also terrifying, yeah. Um, the fact that we have to define that for ourselves. Um, and there's so many different ways to look at it. And really, the base for me is all we have is this one life, right? That's mm-hmm. all that we know for sure that we have. So I look at it as, um, for better, for worse, is the opportunity to make the most out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that sounds like such a simple base thing, but, you know, it gets in this whole existential kind of philosophy, you know, about, you know, the hum- human problem of, of existence, right? So... How do we subjectively 
define the experience, whether it's thinking, feeling, acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to go too weird or deep, but like I think about the idea of, I, you know, I'm an 80s baby, so I grew up in the generation where we got that Nintendo NES, that oh, yeah. first kind of video oh, game. Yeah. So shout out to my gamers that are out there. Um, I think of it as like uh, when you're playing a video game, you know, you have that avatar, that character. You know, you imagine this character that's going to go on these journeys of fighting giants or street fighting or jumping on turtles and throwing hammers, like whatever it is, right? But your video game character, you wouldn't just keep that character in an apartment doing nothing, right? Your character would want to go out on journeys, challenges, face bosses, overcome struggles, fail, and continue on, beat the game, keep going forward. So um, when we think about that, that's kind of what life is, right? Or can be, right? Is, is, is play, like, I'm not saying that life is a game, but it can be, it can be playful, it can be a journey, and there's just so many beautiful things to feel, see, and experience. And I'm not here to pretend that life doesn't have its challenges, right? It's not all rainbows and puppies. Right. There's difficult things. But even in that darkness, it's even the darkness, it's such a rich opportunity and environment to to show strength, to grow, to still um, make your way towards success. It's it's possible. And I think as a community, you know, one thing we can all do is kind of talk about that a little bit more. Talk about the positives, the darkness. Um, I, I learning, uh, you know, taking uh, having these courses and spending time with soldiers, I really have this philosophy now where learning from you guys, you guys understand connection better than I ever will hmm. as a civilian. You guys do. I mean, you guys, the men and women, you guys have to learn to train and perform and connect to the individual next to you to the point where your life is kind of at risk, right? That's not a thing that I've ever had to do, right? In terms of trusting my colleagues, I've never had to put my life into a colleague's um, hands. And you guys do. So um, with that, you guys have this strength and this ability. Um, but with that, sometimes we we use the strength as a way to don't admit that you're having a hard time or hmm. a difficult time. Don't admit that you're not feeling your most confident because then the rest of the crew is going to read you as weak. And so, you know, we love having the conversation of being able to um, talk about kind of the journey of life yeah. and, 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 and not just focus on the destination. One of the things we talk about in our courses often is I think our culture is obsessed with success. And when I say culture, I don't mean the guard. I don't mean military. I just mean the American kind of uh, culture of, Absolutely. of, you know, we look at you know, and there's different definitions of what we look at as success, but whether it's, you know, Jeff Bezos with Amazon, billionaire, right, going flying into space because he can, and, you know, uh, athletes, actors, you know, these people that are this high echelon of their professions, and we are obsessed with it. We have all had that fantasy of holding that winning lottery ticket, right, and what we're <laughs> going to do with it, right, whether we bought the ticket or not. Uh, but I think what's interesting about that, us being fascinated with that end state, we don't aren't fascinated with the journey. We don't talk Mm. about the failure and how those individuals got there. We don't ask those questions like, you know, what was the most challenging part? Like, when were you almost going to break and give up? Like, um, so I feel like if we're able to change the conversation and the fascination to um, that journey, and we learn to love the journey and not the destination, it really is. When you're able to figure that out, I think that's a huge kind of piece that we can all kind of share together. And that's why, to me, this podcast in general, and specifically this podcast, really celebrates that. It's the conversation mm-hmm. of those experiences and that journey. Um, for example, I was listening to episode 10 for anyone, the current season. And so in the future, if you're listening to this, season two, um, episode <laughs> 10, you had Chris uh, Peronto on who kind yeah. of told his story of resilience. And that was really powerful. You know, his experience at Benghazi, the book, the success, the movie. Yeah. And even, you know, being, even in the beautiful moments of life, it was when his hardest challenges came forward. Mm-hmm. Um, also in episode 10, uh, no, episode seven, I have to give a shout out, Stephanie Torres, one of our colleagues you had on. Oh yeah, she's awesome. And uh, she kind of shared her story of, you know, one of the greatest challenges and loss an individual can go through in life and mm-hmm. kind of her being able to find a passion in her career, her passion and dedication to helping and serving others, you know, came from that. So, you know, you're doing that just by, with this, podcast, you know, in terms of having those conversations and hearing those stories. But yeah, loving the journey, I think, is an important part of it. Well, Stephen, I want to pull in a couple threads because you touched on so many great ideas there. 
I mean, I know when I was 18, I was not thinking about the broader purpose or meaning in my vocation and going into the military. I was, yeah, I wasn't thinking, I don't, I don't remember much of what I was thinking about back then, but I know it wasn't very deep and, and I wasn't connecting what I was signing up to do to this greater good and well, and the and the the selfless service that's that's inherent in the in the military vocation and and, and task, and and you talk too about you know the darkness that we that we all experience that we see around us, but those people that raise their right hand to serve in the military, in in the Air Force and the Army, they're volunteering to go into the darkness and and to fight to make life better in the world for people that they don't even know. Um, and and to serve the people to their left and to the, to their right and and be willing to give their lives and serve in service to a, a greater good, whether, whether we're thinking about that or not when we sign up, that's that's really that's I think that's in fundamental to to our task and, and what we're doing. So I think you touched on one of the keys there, identifying purpose and meaning and helping the people in uniform see the purpose and and the greater meaning. In, in what they're doing and how, how good that is, how fundamental that is, and how necessary that is. Whether they do it for three years or 30, that, that, that's something that they're giving back. Of course, you know, I know too, I've talked to a lot of people over the last 18 months since I got into this position. I've, I've done more retirement ceremonies than I did in probably the first 18 years. But people uh, universally talk about the, the things that keep them in the military and the things that keep them going are it's not the same as what got them into the military at, at, at the beginning. But you touched on some great stuff there, and yeah, keep preaching that. Keep, keep, keep trying to highlight that. I think that's, that's super important. That, so that touches on another kind of, I think, key distinction. We've talked about this um, in the hallway and while we were getting ready to do this, that when we talk suicide prevention, we're kind of placing the emphasis on the negative outcome that we're trying to avoid. But when you start talking about purpose and meaning, now you're putting a positive spin on it and building building something positive that strengthens and steals people to to endure and to, and to thrive in spite of difficulties and and challenges. How do you how do you how do you highlight that? Or you know how do you how do you promote those positive or resilient behaviors in such a way that it's just like, hey, look, we're just trying to trying to keep you from doing something harmful? Well, we talk to them about building those protective factors, you know, getting your community, building it, making it so it is the right group of people to be around you. Uh, you tend to mirror those behaviors mm -hmm. of the friends and family you see around. And, you know, if you surround yourself with the people that are going to help you grow. Yeah, what do they say that you're the the average of the five people that you spend the most time with? Yes, I was told that growing up, and uh, I needed to get rid of my friends really quickly <laughs> back then. <laughs> but here, you know, I get to work with some amazing people. We're now right down the hall from you, sir. I get to work with Stephen and Sergeant Fox and. You know, more than our resilience team, our yellow ribbon team, our military family readiness specialists, our, you know, child and youth, everyone deeply cares about our population, mm -hmm. our culture. And while we, you know, get to serve our soldiers and their families, we also get the opportunity to serve each other. Yeah. So oh, yeah. it's a positive experience. And, you know, just like a family, we have our struggles, but overall... We care about each other. Yes, yeah. One of the earliest guests we had on on here, Dr. Tom Plant, said one of the strongest coping skills that we can develop is to really look outside ourselves to tr to try to help mm -hmm. and to serve others and and to find those meaningful connections to others. Yeah, yeah. I think community is is a big part of that. I think it's something that we need to. Um, invest in and spend more time when we can. And, you know, we love having the conversations to remind people because life gets busy, mm -hmm. tasks get busy, missions get busy, and we kind of forget the human side of things. Mm -hmm. And I think community is a big part of that. So, you know, one thing that I always encourage and I'll challenge your listeners to do is 
to kind of be that connection, you know, whether it's within the guard or outside, just in their local communities, to challenge them to be the connection that they ideally want to see. Hmm. You know, like so when they are having frustrations or challenges and they're kind of like, you know, we get into that mindset of, well, this person's not giving me this and I'm being set up to fail and I'm not, you know, given, you know, X, Y, Z, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of can do that thing. What I challenge people to do is to, there's nothing wrong with their thoughts or their feelings, nothing wrong with it, but I challenge them to pause, pause their thinking and think about what are you doing for the community? Stop looking at what others are not giving you or are challenging you with. What are you giving? Because um, that's where we have control. That's where we have power to immediately change the community is by what we mm -hmm. give. And I don't think this is talked about a lot, but selfishly, it feels good. Like when you are able to give to others oh, and share does. with others and you get a lot out of it and you kind of get to control. And I think when you give that you start making those efforts, um, which can be challenging, can be scary, um, could be difficult for us. But I think that it can um, come back tenfold, surprisingly, on you. For example, I'll give you guys a story because um, podcasts are usually a great place for stories. Exactly. Um, and this is such a silly small thing, but something that you know happened six years ago. And I think about it at least once a year, a gift that somebody gave to me. And so I was at the grocery store um, getting a couple groceries. It was a Super Super Bowl weekend, so it was crazy little lines because everybody's getting their Super Bowl snacks. And uh, you know, I'm a civilian, but I still have that kind of that situational awareness about what's happening around me. I love people watching. I love taking in the data of all the human interactions and things that are going on around me. So I'm kind of just you know watching everything around me. One of the things I noticed is a couple aisles down is this woman. She's in line, and what stands out to me about this woman is she kind of got has her head down and she kind of has this really heavy look of just life. Something's mm -hmm. going on, challenges, frustrations. I can literally see it on her face. I don't know this woman. I'm not talking to her, but I can, just by how she carries her face, I can tell like this poor woman has a lot of stress going on. Um, so I end up, you know, getting my groceries. Um, as I'm checking out, the individual who's uh, the, the grocery store clerk says, we're doing this this thing, uh, this this game this month, and you just won a prize. Here's a free box of, of cereal. It's this sugary cereal. And I'm kind of like caught off guard. But I'm like, all right, thank you. So I have that in my bag. Um, and as I'm in, I, I leave and I'm out in the parking lot loading up my groceries, and I see this woman catches my again. She is now loading her groceries. But what I didn't catch the first time because of the aisles is she has a seven-year-old daughter with her. So I didn't see this little person um, earlier. And so I'm kind of like thinking to myself, you know, I'm trying to eat healthier at this point. So it's like, I don't need the sugary cereal. I don't have kids at home. So I'm like, maybe this family would like this box that I was just given by the store. So I go over to her and I'm like, uh, and I didn't want to startle her, but she had her back to me. So I was trying to like, you know, catch yeah, her, yeah. get her attention without terrifying not her. Not be too creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not yeah. be creepy. And I'm like, excuse me, ma'am. And she turns around and immediately has this look of like, Oh God, what is this guy going to sell me? What is he asking of me? What does he need? What is the problem he's going to bring to me? She just already is like defeated in mm. this interaction, this human interaction. And, I, and I'm kind of like, oh, I just, I checked out. I was kind of in there the same time you were and they're doing this weird game or I got a prize, a cereal. I don't really eat cereal. I saw you have a daughter. Like, is it, would you guys be willing to take this? Would you guys enjoy it? Like, I would love for you to take this off my hands. And her face just immediately changes. Like, like her eyes, her mouth, she lights up. Like I, like it's, her face looks like I just offered her $10,000 hmm. is what it looks like. And it's just this box of cereal. That is all it is. Um, and she says to her daughter, like, oh my gosh, she's giving us this, this cereal. Are you excited? Are, do you want to have it when we get home? Like it just kind of becomes this moment of this celebration of just this little thing. And when I left... It, was, it wasn't about the cereal. I did nothing. Like the store just gave it to me and I just handed it off. That's it. I didn't spend a dollar on it. I did nothing. But what that woman gave me was an investment in community. Mm -hmm. of the fact that I was even able to pay attention to another human being a couple aisles down yeah. that maybe had stuff going on. And the fact that I used this little product to maybe brighten her day, but really it brightened my month is what it did for me. And I still think about that woman. We, she went off into the universe. I never saw her again, know nothing yeah. about her and her life and her daughter. But just that moment of small things can really change somebody's day. And, and we they, have that power. They really can. I was doing some research for a podcast we just did 
with John Andrasik in he in a TED talk that he did years ago. He said, "You don't realize you're doing a big thing while you're doing those small things." Mm-hmm. But you're right; those small things that we that we do for others, looking outside of ourselves, that that can really have a huge impact, not just on the person that we're helping or mm-hmm. the person that we're serving, but on us too. So the, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline just got a major upgrade in July. Now it's known as the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. So people can simply dial 988 and be put in touch with a professional in moments of, moments of crisis. This is great news, isn't it? Absolutely. 988 is much easier to remember than that 1-800 number that, you know, we all remember because you know we preached it for so long i had to look it up every time i wanted to share it oh yeah okay (laughs) and that happens too you know sometimes you just forget the number so 988 so much easier uh veterans and service members they can still dial one after dialing 988 and it answers so um they can gain direct support and contact with someone who someone who is trained to talk with veterans in our community. Hmm. So it's much better, much more um, fruitful for the individual to be able to connect with someone that's familiar with our culture. And you can text that as well, right? Yes. Yeah, so you can text as well. Because the whole, the whole idea is that we want to make it easier for people to, to talk and, and connect and to have those resources that are maybe ha- offer some confidentiality that's mm. not directly connected with the military. Because that can be a little bit, well, well we still talk about a stigma, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I still hear soldiers talking about the fear that there's going to be some type of reprisal or their career will be harmed in some way if they come forward with these, with suicidal ideations or mm-hmm. thoughts of other thoughts of self-harm. Right. So chain teach, as you know, we've talked about before, that's something that was pushed up by NGB. Um, our, you know, leadership here in the state has given it down to, you know, brigade battalion leadership, and it's being taught up through the middle of September, I believe. Yeah. So say say yeah. some more about that because this this is a, a a briefing on the National Guard suicide prevention programs and and efforts and kind of trying to empower leaders and organizations to to work to prevent suicide right. and 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 so it's called chain teach i mean a very creative mm-hmm. name right but <laughs> right. but it but it started at the top so general stencil had to had to go through this briefing with the senior leaders and i was in a room with a bunch of other 06s as we from well actually we weren't physically in the room a lot of it was um done virtually, but General Day briefed it to all, to all of us, and then it just trickles down, right? So say some more about kind of what's the content or the, the big idea with that. Well, uh, it kind of came out as we need it to come from the top down to understand that vulnerability is okay. Hmm. Uh, having, you know, senior leaders be able to say to their teams that, it's okay to go seek help. It is good, and it's actually a strength and not a weakness to talk about your vulnerability, to talk about your emotions, as long as you're doing it in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. So their idea of, you know, we need to share that, you know, we go and check in once a month with a mental health provider just to say, hey, you know, this is kind of the stuff that's been bubbling up for me. That can be addressed before it becomes a problem Mm -hmm. if you recognize and have some of that self-awareness that we do teach in RTA and that is part of the MRT curriculum of understand where you are, when you are, so you're able to continue forward. And that's what's being taught from the top down. And I truly believe that our leaders mean it when they say, go before the problem gets worse. Go talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. We have, you know, people here that, you know, are not counselors. We have people here that aren't behavioral health. However, there's people here willing to listen to you. And it's them at their levels. It's the people that they recommend you go talk to. So it is the first time in 
the history, at least in the last 20 years of even big army, that I've seen this happen. So I think it's a very positive and meaningful way to actually get the information out there that it's not a weakness. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's and what I appreciate about it too is is it's uh, leaders that are briefing. Well, first other leaders, but it, it gets down that way. Yes, sir. Yeah. Now we we talked a little bit about building community or finding community or connecting. That can be really hard in the reserve components in the National Guard or the Army Reserves or the Air Reserves because we don't see everyone that we serve with in person all all the time. It, so I've, I've liked, I've, well, I've tried to emphasize over the years that our airmen and soldiers need to find ways to get connected in their local communities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if for no other reason, then we have a lot to offer that people who serve in the military get a lot of great experiences. They have leadership skills and, and they, they really bring a lot to their communities. And so to, to put that to work... So for our traditional guardsmen who are living and working in communities across our state, what types of activities would you recommend? You know, what kind of things should they seek out locally if they want to get involved with suicide prevention or other advocacy work? Well, you know, a great place is church, obviously. You know, that's a that's a given. <laughs> and You're they singing can... the songs of my people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I recommend reaching out to organizations like the Oregon chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Mm-hmm. Angela Perry is the Oregon representative. Uh, she has spoken at our um, annual events for the last two years, and she'll be doing that this year as well with us. Uh, they do a beating ceremony. They also, you know, have ways to connect individuals and get people to advocate with them legislatively. They want people to help lobby. Obviously, soldiers can't do that in uniform. Right. Um, but, you know, on their off time, they can get involved. They can become an advocate for our people in uniform and the families that, you know, serve alongside them. Mm-hmm. And then we have, you know, other organizations like the Oregon, Oregon Firearm Safety Coalition. This is a cool one. Please, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. Um, so Donna Marie Drucker is our representative. She is or was the spouse of an Air Force member. Uh, he's since retired. Mm-hmm. But they have an amazing idea of how to get the information out there. They want to work with... Uh, firing ranges and um, companies that sell guns, you know, to our public and talk to them about, you know, what suicide is and connecting it with firearm safety because it's lethal means. Mm-hmm. You know, the the idea from the National Guard level and, you know, DOD as a whole is that if you can you know, put space between you and the opportunity to use your firearm to end your life, there is the process in the brain telling you to, you know, don't take the next step, don't take the next step, because there's time and distance put in every action that you're taking. Um, The Oregon Firearm Safety Coalition is trying to help push that word out there. And they are working with all these organizations to be able to, you know, help hold a weapon potentially so it is safe and it's nearby. And then, you know, how to actually address and educate about why you make those steps for yourself, even if you're not struggling at the time that you're purchasing your, you know, concealed carry permit or, you know, your firearm mm-hmm. that you're trying to purchase. It is the steps that you take for when there is a time that you're feeling vulnerable, that you are down, that you are in those areas of hopelessness and helplessness, because 20 seconds can be the difference between life and death. So Yeah, this is, this is basic psychology. I remember, right. this. I remember this from Psychology 101 back in undergrad, right, that you're more likely to 
act violently in the presence of violent cues. But what they're not saying is that, hey, guys, get rid of your weapons, right? That's because I thought my first thought was, my goodness, if they're just going to tell everybody to get rid of their firearms, you know, that message is going to fall flat with our with our with our people in our organization. Right. But that's not what they're saying. No, not at all. Donna Marie herself, uh, she actually grew up in a household where her dad built weapons. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he crafted them and put them together and sold them and everything. Mm -hmm. So she is a full advocate of the Second Amendment, as are most of our community. (laughs) So um, my colleagues tell me on a regular basis or ask me, when are you getting a gun? And I'm (laughs) like, when someone teaches me how to shoot, because I haven't since I was about seven. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And we need to get Donna on on the podcast, too. Absolutely. Yeah. So another oh, sorry, I took you off. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I took you down a rabbit trail. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, and then, you know, we have the Oregon Health Authority. They have um, multiple trainings that people can, you know, sign up to do and provide throughout the state. So mm-hmm. there are many opportunities. And, you know, if you just even Google stuff, there's so many organizations that are military connected that really can help push and advance the ideas of preventing suicide well before you get down the path of the hopelessness and helplessness area. Right. So there, there are ways that we can build our community to prevent suicide. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's been listening to the conversation so far, you're probably invested in the topic and, and what we're talking about. Now, one of the things I've always said also, whenever I had an opportunity to teach a suicide prevention class, is look, you know, you might not need to use these inter- intervention skills on yourself. You may not get to the point where you're feeling helpless and hopeless and considering harming yourself or or others. But you might have a buddy who needs you to be the person who who can intervene. So, nine eight eight the new number for the suicide and crisis lifeline. What are some other points of contact that people should have if they want to get help for themselves or for one of their buddies in, in the Oregon Guard? Well, for instance, our chaplain corps, you mm-hmm. are all, you know, you're there to help them even off the basis of religion. You're right. there to speak. You're there to hear them. You're there to actively listen. And I know this from personal experience. I've talked with you about personal struggles and your predecessor, uh, Chaplain Joe Yu. So, yeah, Wilson, great guy. Yeah. So, yeah, what, airmen, soldiers, even the civilians in our organization, you have 100% confidentiality when you speak with a, with a chaplain. Right. And then, you know, we have behavioral health. Uh, Beth Kahn, she has talked to me specifically. I've asked her the question, what are repercussions for soldiers who come talk to you? And she said that they look at any mental health issue within reason um, as an injury. It's just like a sprained ankle. If you do what's recommended, then there will not be repercussions to your career. You're doing a treatment plan. You're healing yourself. Mm -hmm. It won't prohibit you from having a security clearance. It won't prohibit you from, you know, going out on a state mission or a federal mission that you could be placed on orders for, that your family could benefit from. It is more connecting to the issue that you're having and getting the help you need because that, again, is looked at as a sign of strength, not weakness. Mm -hmm. Then we have star providers. Um, So many of our guardsmen, our people, know Eddie Black. He is Stephen's, like, three times predecessor. (laughs) Uh Episode, season one, episode two of Hope in the Trenches. There we are. So Eddie has... um, Star Behavior Providers or StarProviders.com, and you can find a list of providers who are educated in military culture, in PTSD, and the things that you know they that our community needs help with. So even our family members can potentially go use that. We also have our military family life consultant. 
Um, I get made fun of sometimes because I call her a uh, Miflick, and it's M-Flack. Um, but I've heard it so many different ways this, you know, 20-some years connected to the military. Um, so her, Carol Hopwood is our current M-Flack, and <laughs> she is fabulous. Oh, she's she can, great. Yeah. She can be there for the interim for a few, you know— sessions just to get you into a provider that is actually going to make a connection, a deeper connection, and be able to be with you longer term. So again, star providers, and then we have Give an Hour. It's another organization that one can go and find free or significantly um, discounted counseling we do have a counseling crisis in our country. We mm-hmm. don't have enough people, enough providers, but there are resources for the wait time, right. and that's what's important. Right. So we'll try to put those contact phone numbers in the show notes. Now, before I let you guys go, you've got some training events coming up, and I want to make sure that you let our listeners know what's coming up in September for National Suicide Prevention Month. Okay, so for September the 6th through the 9th, or really the 10th, um, Mr. DeLuna and I will be putting out a self-care challenge and asking people to post on the SMFS Facebook page just how they're going to be doing this with us. Also, we are working on a purple effort (laughs) with Mm -hmm. the Airside on providing um, a training called Project, Project Overwatch. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no <laughs> yes, I just couldn't remember the name of it. So Project Overwatch, um, uh, the CFO, CEO, the director of this nonprofit, Casey Woods, is going to be coming out and doing this training um, event six different times over the course of three days, two time or two days, the 8th and 9th, a Thursday and Friday at Camp Withicum at 9 a.m. and so 0900 and 1300. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And um, she'll be doing those for those two days. And it is about preventing suicide with firearm safety. So it is going to be a great event. The um, Air Force was able to get a pretty significant grant to make this happen. And then we will be um, putting a couple resilience items in there. We're going to teach those areas. And then um, our SAPR program is going to come in and also do a section of time just talking about, you know, how they can be of service and the, the ways that suicide can be connected with sexual assault and harassment and how we can all use resilience to build each other up, even in times of uh, disconnection, you know, the way that Mm -hmm. we're not connecting with others potentially. So we have those things happening. You're going to come speak at our event on the afternoon of the 9th, as well as Donna Marie Drucker from the Oregon Firearm Safety Coalition, Angela Perry from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and a few other people. Excellent. And then I'll say uh, for next fiscal year, just I want to encourage and invite everybody to come out to one of the courses and just kind of celebrate um, resilience, kind of uh, learn and grow. Really, it's these courses for us are an opportunity to invest in our soldiers, um, not just as soldiers, but as humans, as people. So it's really skills and abilities that apply to life, to your civilian job, to to being a mother, a father, a partner, you know, whatever, a brother or sister. Um, so we really believe in it. So we really encourage people to come out. Um, we'll be doing, um, starting in December of 2022, we'll be doing a course every single month. We'll be rotating them. Um, so like, for example, RTA, we start in Salem. Um, that's in December. And uh, then we do Clackamas in February. We're doing the Dalles for the first time. I've never been to that armory. I keep hearing great things. So I'm excited to go there. That's in April. Um, and then we'll be in Bend for RTA in June. Um, so those are our four courses. And then for Assist, we'll be doing uh, in Salem, we'll be doing in January. And it's a two-day course, Clackamas in March, Bend in May, and then going down to Medford in July. So we'll make sure we give you our contact information to put in the show notes. People can reach directly out to us. If you're M-Day, we put you on orders. Um, all of these courses are during the week, so it doesn't affect drill. 
Um, we'll put you on orders. If you're traveling over 50 miles, we'll get DTS taken care of, get you lodging. Um, everything's paid for by our, doesn't cost anything to the unit. Um, also, in addition to that, we are a mobile training team. So if you're a readiness NCO, a training NCO, a commander, or you have a good relationship with them uh, and you want us to come to the unit, we will come to drill. Um, we will come to AT whenever um, all we need is a date, a time, and what you want to work on. We would love to come and spend time um, with drill. I know it's hard to work time into the drill schedule, but if available, let's say, you know, a commander's going, you know, we're having unit cohesion problems. There's just things going on. Reach out to us. We would love to come in, um, use the curriculum to kind of, as a launching point, maybe we'll come in and talk about maybe assertive communication, but really what we'll do is kind of work with the unit, see what's going on, and have a discussion of how we can all be working together, supporting each other more, and hopefully um, grow together, really, invest in, in the soldiers. I'm going to say, our soldiers love assertive communication because they get to witness Stephen yelling at me. <laughs> so. I can't even picture Stephen yelling. <laughs> I'm getting better each time I do it. Yeah. So it was hard at first, but I'm getting better. <laughs> And this is also open to family members of a certain age, you know, children in in reason, so 15 and older, if they are mature enough to handle the topic of suicide, we can certify them. Uh, spouses are, some of our SFRGs have been attending our courses recently, so it's open to our community. And... You know, they, the SFRGs can go through their military family readiness specialists to see about how to, you know, be able to attend and stay in a hotel and get, you know, the lodging and per diem as volunteers. We have, you know, our funds only cover soldiers, but we want to open it up to everybody. Well, fantastic. Those are some great opportunities, and that, that really is some great training, whether it's the RTA or ASSIST. I've done ASSIST three times over the mm -hmm. years. Because really, as, as we've talked about today, every soldier, every airman, every family member is, is valuable, mm -hmm. and we want our people to be uh, healthy and, and whole and, um, you know, to, to be able to, to take care of one another. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys so much for sharing your time with me today. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's an honor. Well, bless, blessings to you guys and the work of the entire service member and family support directorate. Appreciate what you guys do. Well, thank you, thank sir. You. We appreciate you. This podcast is produced by the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office. My prayer for you is that wherever you find yourself, that you might find hope for today and strength for the ambiguity and chaos of life. Blessings on the rest of your day.